I'm Nivrajendra, and this is the Embodied Ayurveda Podcast. Here, you receive high-level, authentic, and comprehensive Ayurvedic and yogic insights so that you can truly level up your wellness practices and profession. Here, today in the studio, we are joined by the absolutely incredible Suchitra Rajendra. She has over 32 years of corporate HR experience, and now she's built her own coaching consulting company where she helps organizations, um, a myriad of organizations, different scales, convert into more enabling cultures. She helps coach leaders to be more compassionate, more empathetic in the workplace. And she also helps people find careers that are not only successful, but also fulfilling. So this is really powerful work. Is there anything more you would like to add to no, that? No, I think you've done a great job uh, describing what I do and what my purpose is. Thank you. So you might be wondering, what does corporate HR, what does leadership, life coaching, that's essentially what Suchitra does, how is this related to Ayurveda, yoga? Well, we know that there are three essential pillars to health in Ayurveda. There is Brahmacharya, there is sleep, and we have Ahara, which is inputs or food. But it's not just the food that we take in, but it's also the emotions, the thoughts with which we perceive our world, our breath, water. All of these are crucial components. So let's just narrow into the component of thoughts, emotions. This is incredibly powerful that we have a podcast just focusing in on this because it takes up so much of our life, how we move through our day to day. If we are consuming thoughts and energies that feel heavy in our being, that feel toxic, that feel that we have resistance around, how do we hold that? How does that make us feel in our muscles, in our joints? Does this make us clench our guts, our jaw? And over time, what are the implications of that? So how do we move through our day-to-day with a perspective, an observation that is more generative for our beings, that actually allows us to show up with more vibrancy, with more wellness? There are so many ways to understand this and kind of pick at it. In a few of my podcasts, we've got into it, some self-inquiry methodologies, the ideas of yamas, moral codes of conduct, ways of holding ourselves so that we can show up with more care, with more empathy, just like what Suchitra leads people to, but using her own models and using her own frameworks. So today I wanted to dive into first, um, into the concept of emotional intelligence, because this is still um, a contemporary phrase. It's a contemporary way of understanding our ways of showing up with one another, of holding emotions, of reacting, of bringing pause instead of um, re, re-following some calcified patterns? How do we do that? How do we navigate that? How do we grow into that? So maybe you can speak a little bit around this concept, what it means to you, how you use it. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, through the formative years, um, we focus so much on intelligent quotients, IQ. Yeah, and we evaluate people on that basis of that, 
all the resources of our schooling and education is around that. Uh, even when we are moving across society, we are constantly thinking about that as being a parameter or foundation for success. But interestingly, that's maybe a one factor, but the key factor is emotional intelligence. It is how we interact with ourselves first and foremost, how we manage our own reactions, our own emotions, then how we interact with our family, our friends, our communities, and our societies. So this is more important in how we navigate our journey of life versus just a attitude, aptitude, which is really IQ, whereas EQ is more the attitude. And that really is the shift in when we grow older, we realize that this is actually more important because it affects my way of thinking, it affects my mental helping, my spiritual well-being, my physical well-being. All three are based on my attitude to myself and how do I react to others. And that's really the baseline of how I have integrated emotional intelligence and all the vast studies into that simple way of thinking. Amazing. I like that aptitude um, versus attitude because I think even in this work, a lot of the people that I'm training or a lot of the students that I get in, they are so highly intelligent. They are so sharp, so brilliant, but it's usually sensations of doubt or ways in which they deal with rejection or ways in which they hold the pressure that they receive from society. That's what's holding them back. All of them are shining, bright, um, you know, intellectually very intelligent. So it's really about feeling into what are the questions, what are, what are the reflections, inquiries that we can use in this time to help you navigate all of that with more ease, with more clarity, with more precision. So I know in your work, you deal a lot with people's deeper beliefs. And that's something that shows up as well as maybe it's a part of emotional intelligence or, um, mm -hmm. but maybe you can speak to that, how that affects the yeah. ways in which people react or. Right. So let me, let me go to, uh, into how our brain processes any information, right? So our brain, because of survival, human survival, has the strong limbic system, which means it tries to protect our beings. And the minute we get a trigger, we go into the flight mode, the fright mode, or the freeze mode, right? So these are the three kinds of reactions, which is important because if you see something that is threatening to your body or fire, you want to be immediately, you want to react. That's great. But in today's world, we don't have those kind of physical threats. And what our body does is now transfer every word, every external trigger into these three. And therefore our body is constantly in this, either the fright or the flight or the freeze. And it affects the way we breathe. So interestingly, breathing, just giving body oxygen, six second pause, tells the body it's not a survival issue and we relax. And that relaxation helps us to activate our rational and our logical part of our brain. 
which then says, okay, I don't need to freeze flight or fright. I need to think about this and I can convert it into positive way of reacting or responding rather than reacting, responding to the situation. And that could even be not doing anything, right? It could be any of the choices. And it starts from there. So while it has been important for us as human beings to survive, but now we have to remember that every day is not a survival issue for us as human beings. You know, just because I go in and my friend says something or my mother expects something, it doesn't mean I start now thinking of it as a survival issue. I look at that, I pause, I breathe, and I can react or respond in so many different ways. And that's the start of this emotional intelligence. So the start is self. It's really understanding self. And therefore constantly saying, what is this telling me? Which values of mine are not being met? Which beliefs am I holding which are being challenged and therefore I am getting irritated or angry or reacting in this way? Because the minute we react in a certain way, we have to think that there is an innate difference in either the value or the belief system. So if somebody is questioning me and I'm reacting, is that person going and questioning a deep set belief? If so, either the belief is right, in which case I can continue to believe in that, or the belief is wrong and I can be open to changing that belief. Then I can be open to challenging my own belief. But many times we feel that I am the belief. My identity is that belief. So I don't want to be challenged. So therefore, the first part of emotional intelligence is just realizing your own emotions as they surface and taking that pause to say, what emotion am I going through? Is it anxiety? Is it irritation? Is it anger? And is, are these emotions going to help me become make it constructive emotions or are they causing my body to go into the flight, fright or freeze and therefore destructive emotions. Mm. Yeah, you just touched on so many uh, important points there. The first is, like you said, one of the most powerful things you can do is to just be still is to just witness, is to just observe, to kind of take yourself out of identifying with that emotion or with that response and actually taking that emotion or response as a tool. I mean, imagine if we <laughs> moved through every day with the deeper knowing or the deeper insight that every single sensation that surfaces within me is a teacher. And what lesson can I learn from this? And how does it allow me, what can it tell me in order for me to either move differently, to come closer to whatever my larger vision of myself is, which for most people is evolution, is growth, is more inner peace, is more clarity, well-being. So do I, what does it say in that moment about me, that situation, my values, my deeper beliefs? But what's interesting also is that a lot of these deeper beliefs that you speak of, um, of course, people are not even aware of at all till you start going. 
but they're oftentimes set in a, in a context that's completely different to the context in which one person is living. It, it could be a belief that was set in them when they were three years old, when they were four years old, and they realize they are just replaying that, and the trigger is actually calcifying that belief within them as opposed to them taking that trigger as an opportunity to grow out of the belief. So there are so many layers to that. And for all of them, this um, attitude of pause is so powerful. And again, that ties directly into yoga and Ayurveda because it's all about being witness, stepping out, not identifying with the disease, with the um, patterns that are expressing themselves. And of course, utilizing the breath, even just awareness of the breath. Forget any of the advanced pranayams, literally just observing the breath and allowing for that space and that time to give you deeper insight into all everything else that's happening. There was another piece. Yeah, what you say also about um, these... <laughs> These reactions that we have, the flight, fright, freeze, they are so intense. They are felt incredibly intensely in the body because we've evolved um, into those for very specific and important reasons, survival. So it's so wild that in this current context, we could respond to a text message, an email from a boss, with the same intensity as if uh, some animal was chasing us, you know? That the body is just, that's what it knows. And a lot of times when I'm working with clients, um, it becomes very clear that they have been activating disease mechanisms within their body from a very young age because they've learned these ways of responding from parents, from teachers, from society, just even when they're one, two years old, when we are learning how to move and be in this world, we are seeing our parents tense up, shout, react, throw things, be violent, anytime the smallest thing bothers them. And then we take that on. So the body is almost constantly fighting in itself. And again, that is a core reason for disease in Ayurveda. So in your world, because of course, you don't really get into the deeper health implications, even though you know that's a, such a huge benefit of your work. Um, but off the top of your minds, are there any specific questions that you ask in order to open up a deeper dialogue around beliefs or emotional intelligence or values? Yeah, I mean, the first question I when I coach my clients, I say, you know, how are you feeling right now? What are the emotions coming? And then I do ask a follow-up question as to where is that emotion sitting with mm -hmm. you? And I would say 70 to 80% of the answers are either in the gut, my stomach, mm -hmm. sitting in my stomach, they say, or my lower back or my upper back, my shoulders. So that's where most of the emotions are sitting and then they suddenly become aware and we just do a one two minute breathing and immediate it's an immediate effect the minute they finish that they're like oh i'm feeling so much better 
And I can see how that anger was not doing me any good. You know, I have taken an external trigger and actually causing injury to my own body with that external trigger. So I'm not making the anger, I'm not doing anything positive with the anger. I'm causing harm to myself using the anger because now I've brought it into my stomach, I've brought it into my lower back, whichever area. So your question is interesting because we, we do, while I don't, you know, but just the awareness from then on, I guess, helps people understand the strong connection between emotion and physical manifestation of that emotion. Yeah, truly. Sometimes it's like, it really is simple, but because our environments and our lifestyles are so set up for pace and intensity, that actually that simplicity becomes something we need to bring a lot of attention and commitment to. We really need to break through the tides to say, that's what I want to invest my money or my time in. Reaching out and working with someone who literally helps me to just tap into the sensations in my body. And you're working as a life coach, I'm working as a health coach, but we both are doing pretty much the same things, which is where do you feel it in your body? Breathe into it, release it. It's not yours. I often tell my clients, surrender it. Who are you to hold it? It's a little bit of arrogance that you think you can hold all of that. Who told you that? It's not your burden. Release it. Give it up. Surrender it to whoever. Let your ancestors hold it. Let God hold it for you. Absolutely. And I think the biggest person within ourselves and is the judge within us who is constantly either they're the voice of our parents or the teachers or the community or society, wherever they come from, and they are holding all these and reflecting it back. You're not good enough. You need to do better. Or you're, you, why did you react like this? Or you should react like that. The shoulds, the whys, better be, better not. All of those voices, actually, no, where we are alone, we're still hearing those voices. So we, we have to somewhere stop attributing it to somebody else and owning it and saying, I don't want to give so much importance to this judge within me and goodbye, Mr. Judge or Miss Judge or Mrs. Judge. You know, um, you serve me well, but now I want to find new voices of compassion or of, you know, joyousness or of curiosity or of humor or any of those voices that will not make my emotions destruct me totally and it's beautiful because at some point we realize we really get to choose wow we get to this i have i have agency over that my god this whole time i didn't know i just thought that's what i had to do i had to hold the sadness or i had to hold the shame or i had to hold the guilt and sometimes it really requires someone inviting you to release it and you're like wow I can do that it's my agency it's my will and now is the time but even still it's so sticky and that's what I often tell people it's slow be patient with yourself but be very clear write it down or work with someone who's 
constantly grounding you in what is the value that you are now being renewed with or you are seeding into your being so that you can keep returning even when there's flux, even when there's disturbance, even when you fall back on those older coping mechanisms or the reactivity. Quickly come back to the anchor of whether it's compassion or pause or care. Quickly return there and then see what makes more sense from that lens for you to move. And I think that essentially is also at the core of emotional intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. Observing the emotions is the first step, like I said, self-observation, then self-regulation. If you don't even know what you're going through, how can you regulate it? Mm -hmm. So the first step is self-observation. The second is self-regulation. And then it comes to the community or people or how you deal with them. But I think if today we just stay with that self-observation and self-regulation, I think the journey just starts very powerfully from there. Beautiful. Yeah, so that's a really incredible takeaway for all of you listening and just grappling with all of that insight is that after this, even if it's just a few moments before you go to bed or in the morning, to really witness what is being held in your body. Or maybe even setting a timer through the day to just be reminded to have a moment of observation. What is being held? What gets to be released? And what gets to be taken in, absorbed in? And just see how that subtly shifts you day to day. What comes up for you? Um, I would also like to actually just move on to some other topics uh, right now itself that are all related. So the other Ayurvedic and yogic powerful theory that um, we have for us is understanding, and this is deeply connected to what we were just talking about, understanding that the human mind is constantly fluctuating between desire and aversion desire, what we want, what is for ours, what we think we deserve, what our goals are, our ambitions, and aversion. That person, something said to us, we didn't like it. How someone reacted to us, didn't show up for us, we didn't like it. Someone we are comparing ourselves to, we didn't like it. And this constant flux, again, very away from stillness and pause, is actually in its heightened expression what leads to feelings and sensations of greed, of arrogance, of self-righteousness, of hatred, of jealousy, all emotions that are incredibly toxic to the body if not processed and released correctly. And oftentimes they're not because they're stickier, we don't even like to feel them, so we resist them. And we, in Ayurveda, we like to say, what res- what we resist persists it just gets it just holds on even tighter you know so in navigating all of this it's really important for someone again to really look into what are my deeper desires what are my deeper needs we can call them needs or desires you know that's term term obviously 
differs depending on which kind of if you're talking about yoga then maybe it's not a need maybe it's just a desire but maybe in more contemporary fields it is understood as a need what are those core needs that are not being met or being met or that sometimes pull me out of myself pull me into reaction or pull me into greed or pull me into anger or sadness maybe i get to look at them and also understand what is it for someone else so i know that you work with a lot of very interesting contemporary models uh, maybe you can speak to one of them that gives insights on needs yeah that's a very interesting you know you said needs or desires and it's true and all when a human need uh, is not met then it can cause a flurry of reactions within us and similarly if we do not meet the need of another human being um then we cause the same to others so continuing from emotional intelligence is good to be aware of my needs um all our needs in in the model of uh, the esteemed writer david rock so it's a scarf model i find it very easy to remember um so the s is for status now status can be hierarchical it can be a power position of power it can be your identity card it could be your designation it could come from anywhere and again it starts from not today but from the time when humans worked in a community started off living together and survival right so it's easy then to understand the need of status i am your elder brother i am your mother i am your father or i am the village head or i am the village doctor anything that gives that sense of importance of being in this world you take and you start making it your identity so if somebody challenges you or you're getting irritated you need to say what is that that is causing this irritation oh because this so called younger person or a less educated person or a whatever hierarchical is challenging me because i'm identifying so closely with my status i am no longer just a human being open and curious i am a status and that person is challenging that part of my identity so my need for status becomes so much higher and if we know that of another person it's interesting we can actually create a safety by saying this person's need is of status so let me make sure that the person knows i'm not challenging the other person's status i'm just asking it from a position of curiosity so the person is open to answer and open to caring so status is the first s of scarf beautiful you want to speak to the others, others? and then i okay. can reflect sure sure the second is the c and c is continuity or certainty i need to know because again humans wanted to know when is the next rainfall where is the next river where is the next mountain we are traveling where is the next you know food coming everything we needed to know so if somebody was going out by themselves what are why are they going out to get food to get water what are they doing so we needed that information as a community and as a person so the need to know and this leads to the when a person let's say another person goes away and doesn't tell us then that we say we get irritated 
where's that person going? Or what is that person doing inside a locked room? Or what is that person planning? And then we say scheming. Or there's a meeting inside a hidden room or a, a meeting room. And then we say, what are they discussing? Must be about me. Because again, I'm the center of my universe, right? So they must be talking about me. So this need to know is huge in human beings. Helped us? Is it helping us? Is there such a really a strong need to know anymore? But we want, we that desire or need is very strong. So that, that's the C. And so when we get irritated, we need to say, why? What is irritation coming from? Is this lack of information or that knowledge that I want to know or I want to know how the person is thinking? All of that. Then is A. A is also very, very interesting. It's autonomy. We want to be the masters of our own destiny, universe, etc. So we want to have a freedom of choice. It's interesting. It could be as simple as asking a kid, do you want, um, you know, a cereal for breakfast or do you want a banana? You know, as simple as that to saying you need to have this every morning. Immediately the reaction is, I want to choose. And maybe as a kid, you're more trusting of your parent, but as the brain develops, the need for autonomy becomes stronger. So when we are not given, or when we feel we are not given an autonomy, somebody is telling us what to do. If we have a higher need for autonomy, we start rebelling against that. And it all manifests again in the way we show our emotions to ourselves, to our physical health, because we want to have choice. So the need for autonomy. Then there's the R, which is again, you know, it's, it's interesting when you think of the old communities that were living. Relatedness, the need to be connected with people, the need to belong, the need to have a relation with people around us. And how did the people before punish people who they did not feel were part of the community? How do animals also do it today? They, uh, they isolate, they isolate reject. them, reject them, or they kick them out of that community. And today, prisoner is isolation, solitary confinement. It's the worst kind of punishment. The need to relate causes... So if somebody ignores me, sulks, what do I do? I get emotionally distraught. And what is that person doing? That person is playing on the need for relatedness. And I could be doing the same as well. I could be doing the same to myself also when I'm not aware of my emotions. I'm actually not connecting to my inner being by ignoring those emotions. So it's interesting how we're doing it to ourselves all the time. So the need to relate. And the last one, which is not least, is fairness. I want to believe that people are, are fair. So I always say, you know, kids ask their parents, you're not being fair. We ask our managers, you're not being fair. We say the policy, not being fair. The world, not being fair. Something happens in my life. I immediately blame God, not fair. Because the need that everything should be equal. But when we actually think about it, we want more things for ourselves. We really don't want things to be fair, right? <laughs> but the need for fairness also can trigger a lot of reactions, can cause us to be angry with somebody, with ourselves also. Because we say, hey, we, we committed to doing this, you know, 10 hours of exercise, but I wasn't because it rained. It's not fair <laughs> because it's an external trigger. So then I internalize it and say it's not fair. So these are, this is the scarf model. It's, it's a very 
good model for us to at least at the first start to understand what what is it that um which need of mine is not being met or which need of the other person am i not meeting when i'm having the external uh, the internal reactions yeah. yeah it's amazing when you were speaking there were so many stories playing out in my mind so many examples not only of my own but of students or clients where multiple of those needs are are playing themselves out for example uh someone a, a young person like me who is trying to carve their own path in a career doing something that maybe isn't as stable or certain and displaying autonomy and agency and they have a parent figure who is deeply disturbed because they aren't seeing that certainty and there's a lot of fear that comes with it and maybe simultaneously when they give advice and it's rejected by the the daughter or the son that um affects their need for status you know why can't they see i'm their father i'm their mother and what i say should be followed through with and just with that already there's mess complexity heightened emotions intensity or with a partner you might feel like i'm the wife i'm the girlfriend and so i um get to know i deserve to know where my husband goes when he goes out in the evening or when he's out on a trip i deserve to be updated because that fulfills my status as a wife being informed and also my need for certainty to just have a sense of where he is and what he's doing but maybe for him the need for agency is much more and maybe he doesn't require that from his wife and so it's not fair to him that his wife requires it so in his mind he's completely justified that he doesn't actually keep her in the loop in the way she desires and she needs so again we just have all four four or five of those being played out so seamlessly and what is required in each of these is really empathy empathy not only for yourself like you said really meeting yourself actually relatedness with your own self listening to your own self but then when you when you cultivate that empathy for yourself you ripple it outwards you get to see and that's also i i would argue a part of emotional intelligence you get to see what is triggering this person and how can i meet them halfway because i don't mean to push on their need for status i don't think any child wants their parent to feel less than or that we are not grateful for them as um models or figures or leaders of advice but we want them to know in this moment it's so important for me to take this decision on my own so maybe we could make a collaborative decision maybe i can just keep you looped in step by step so you know you're still the person i'm turning to whatever it is to even just recognize that or with certainty to feel into it's such a deep need for this person what does it take from me to just let them know whether it's as a child or a partner or a friend it doesn't take much it was just your ego deciding that your need for agency or autonomy was far more important but there is middle ground so i and and like you said all of these when not navigated with intelligence will most definitely become stored 
in the body as stagnation, as tension, as restriction. You mentioned earlier, people feel it in their guts. In Ayurveda, the gut is the center of health. If the gut is tensed and closed and not functioning optimally, anything that comes into your body will not be processed or digested, not even your food. So it's all intimately... Absolutely interrelated. It shows up in how, same thing, right? How we regulate ourselves, how we manage our own emotions, and then how do we meet the needs of other people's emotions, how we meet their needs. And uh, it's not a win-lose um, or a lose-win. It is a win-win. And when we are compassionate with ourselves also and with others, there are much stronger trusted bonds and when you have trust then all needs start becoming diminishing because you know the person comes from a place of a good intent and you trust that person so even if the person asks a very silly question you're okay because it's coming from a place of love and care and trust um but yeah so we need to just be self-aware again about first from from our own selves, what are these needs that I have? And are they, do they need to be held so tightly? Do they need to be part of my identity? Mm. Is it really that much, that important for me that all these needs? Um, so I, when I ask people, I ask that question, you seem to be very irritated. Which need is not being met? And when they reflect, okay, it is the need of status, but is that really that important for me that I, again, cause injury to myself? Mm. No, not really. I don't want to cause injury, self-inflicted harm mm. by holding on to this need and causing all these reactions. Mm. Yeah, it truly is that self-inflicted harm, which is really what a lot of people are moving through. Um, yeah. So the other important point that actually is coming up again and again that I just want to bring some light to is that in all of these conversations you've constantly repeated and this is actually so integral in my work too is releasing that intense identification with something that is actually superficial to the self all of those things and it's incredible because this is actually a deeply spiritual insight. And the fact is that you actually bring that insight, not with the, you know, core thing of bringing some, you know, spiritual awakening to this person, but because it's so relevant, even in the work that you're doing, and it's completely logical and makes sense, that identifying yourself with the emotion, with the feeling, with the belief, with the value, with the need, with the desire, is most likely not serving you. Because at some point, you grow out of it. At some point, the external world doesn't match you where you're at. At some point, you experience loss. At some point, visions change. And at some point, you recognize that yourself cannot be defined by any of this. It's so much more expansive. It's always whole. It's always abundant. It's of value regardless. So why not 
loosen it a little bit and again and again return to pause, space, compassion, care. In all of these, that is central. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's a good insight. Um, and like I always say, then if the audience is listening to this and taking away some insights, how are they going to uh, make it meaningful for them? Right. So what are they going to reflect about themselves uh, with this framework, which of their needs is causing them self-harm and self-injury? Yeah, definitely. Maybe we can just go through the five again. So it's really in people's minds when they are doing some journaling. You said S, which is status, the need for status. C, um, continuity or certainty, just the feeling, the need to know. Yeah which actually is also something I work a lot with, um, trust. Have mm. trust, have faith, do the work, mm. but release your identification with the goal and the outcomes a little right. bit. Yeah. Um, a, autonomy or agency. R, which is relatedness. And F, fairness. So I think it would be incredibly fruitful for you to really just put these down on a piece of paper and feel into what moments in your life you are feeling some sort of tension or constriction or suffering and how it could possibly relate to some of these needs being met, not being met, and what is possible from your end to bring a little bit more lightness, a little bit more ease to your body. Because finally, that is the ultimate goal all of the others are there things that you want but finally we want to feel good in our bodies that's right we want to feel healthy mm -hmm. and we think those are the things mm -hmm. that will make us feel healthy but sometimes it's yeah. releasing yeah. that yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's right and uh, that's really you know um in a in a coaching a section it's about moving right and moving from there's the past to the present to the future and maybe we can talk a little more about that you know now that we've understood emotional intelligence and we've understood a framework of needs then we can say okay how do then i move through this time and go from to definitely yeah actually I was also just thinking about what you said. It came back to me on um, these two core components that you work with, self-observation and then self-regulation. And I was just returning to this fundamental Ayurveda concept known as Pragya Paradha, which is a transgression of wisdom. So when we're moving from self-observation to self-regulation, there's this moment where we understand, we see, we've done the journaling, we see what the triggers are. And yet when it comes to the moment of implementation, of maintaining consistency, of really moving into those level ups, we fall back into old patterns. So we know better. And yet some, it could be a belief, it could be a memory, it could be something calcified within our being, it could be a mindset that still is kind of tangled around as it hasn't fully unraveled is leading us to a transgression of wisdom which then leads to again uneasiness or disease so just on that note like you said there's you can 
maybe walk us through some sort of timeline that takes us from the past or the knowing or the memory into the future and those different ways of moving through that. Yeah, thanks. And I think it starts from the now. And it's very important uh, because I keep coming back to it. It starts from the now and now I am okay. At this very moment of the now, this, you know, like moment is what I could, is I'm okay, right? So when I say, and usually, you know, clients will say, you know, I am not successful. That means I've not been successful in the past and I'm not successful now and I'm not successful in the future. So it's a present, it's an identity. Or, or they say, I, I cannot wake up uh, in mm -hmm. the morning. Mm -hmm. It means there is an ability issue. You have not done it in the past. You're not doing it now. You won't do it in the future. So the words are very important. And when I listen to the words, I have to kind of help the person understand that there, the past is everything before you came here. So do not take the past as a baggage and carry it into the future. The past is where it belongs. So if I, the person says, but I don't get up in the morning. You didn't get up in the morning. <laughs> okay, so let's remember that. Today morning also maybe you didn't get up, but you did not get up. <laughs> not every day in the future may not be the same. There may be a different future. Mm -hmm. So once they understand, okay, fine, you know, it's not me. It's not that I'll never ever get up in the future. So, yeah. So that was your troubled past or your past which is troubling you and you're bringing it to the now. But that's a past. And we need to say, okay, what kind of future do you imagine? Oh, I imagine a future where I am getting up. Great. Let's hold on to that beautiful picture of whatever you want to do, right? Oh, oh, I don't want to be reacting to people. Okay, so, and how? what would that picture be? Oh, I would take it with humor. I would take it with compassion or I would be relaxed. I would be breathing through something that irritates me. Great, let's paint that future very, very precisely, very, very beautifully, really put you in that future so that your baggage is no longer on your shoulder, in your gut, in your head, in your lower back. It's left. And keep going back to that beautiful future, which you know if you don't do the things that you did in the past, it won't be your future. Your future can be very different from your past. So that journey starts. Then people keep slipping into it. Then we say, okay, Give an example where maybe you used to be very irritated with something, but no longer are. And people do come up or you thought you wouldn't be doing something like getting up in the morning. Oh, I used to watch a lot of TV or I used to not read so anything. We say that shows that you have the ability. It's not I am not. I was not. I used to be a person who used to get angry fast, but now with that I don't. I used to hate animals, now I don't. I, whatever it is, something in the past that tells your brain, oh, I did get up. <laughs> I, I, I started walking when I was one. <laughs> so I did something that I have the resources to do something, right? So we then say, okay, that means you have the willpower, you have the muscle power, you have, you have it in you that you did something resourceful in the past. So let's use that as a strength because every person, every human being has innate strengths. You may not want to see them as strengths. You may want to discount them, 
you may not be humble enough to say yes i have been given these strengths but they are strengths and so you need to tap into those strengths and say okay i don't want to be where i was i have these strengths together we can make magic in the future right and they'll say some clients say no but you know if i wake up in the morning then um in the night i'll have to do this and they go into some version of the future which is very fearful then this might happen or i might not have enough time to have breakfast or i might miss my um train to catch to work if i do 10 minutes more of breathing practice or whatever it is that they want to do uh, or i might fall ill if i don't have enough proteins there's so many things that they think of imagine and therefore again we use the fact that they have done something in the past which did not lead them into this horrible future that they are imagining but they are into this future where it is actually going pretty well and therefore this new habit or new way of working or new mindset or new belief will not take them to this terrible place in the future but to a beautiful place which they are painting so it's important for us to first start with the present breathe i'm okay i'm a fine human being i'm here because i want to learn i want to grow i want to do something or be something a better version of me so that's a great starting place so let's focus on that beautiful now and from there we bridge all these past behaviors which they may want to change into a beautiful future where they are living that and once the brain you know it's like the smile right if you smile even if you fake smile your body thinks it must be something nice happening cuz mm-hmm. i'm smiling so when you paint that beautiful future where you're successful in whichever area you want to be your body actually starts becoming more relaxed i ask them how are you feeling now you know the tension's gone mm-hmm. my muscles are more relaxed because the body's already in the future mm-hmm. and the past minute has become the future minute mm-hmm. where the body does not feel that i cannot wake up or mm-hmm. i cannot or mm-hmm. i am not successful mm-hmm. body's already felt you're successful because they're imagining mm-hmm. a beautiful mm-hmm. future for themselves mm. yeah that's so powerful to again just have that vision of agency in this present moment and i think both for you and i the people that come to work with us or you know people who are listening to this podcast here there is some underlying i am ready for change i want to show up for myself better i see something more expansive for myself but of course there are those sticky tendencies but okay in this moment there is that willingness now i can either draw from a fearful past or look at the resource look at how i have shown up all of the accomplishments i've done all that my body has healed from all the resilience that i have already expressed all the changes that i've already made because people usually don't come after not having done some basic work in their own lives in their own being they arrive because they've done some self work and now they need some support really taking it to the next level but then in that next level that fear of failure that even even again identifying with that failure who cares so you tried the next day and it didn't happen you try again but keep having the vision that it is possible for you that's the most important and 
I really, it's, it's funny because it is so much about language. A lot of people come to me as well and are like, you know, I'm a night person. I'm a night owl. And you, you were a night owl for the last five years. But you're not here because you want to be a night owl. Because I'm going to tell you about the power of the circadian rhythm. And you already know that. So you better be ready and know that it's possible for you. And actually, it's going to be extremely enlivening for you to shift into being a morning kookaburra, you know? Um, but to really feel that in the body. And I think a lot of uh, manifestation, that's not really the work that I do, but I've seen that a lot. The manifestation techniques really invite people in the now to feel the sensation of that resourceful future in their current being. So you're just stepping into it, stepping into it, stepping into it. And literally your reality opens, opens, and it shifts accordingly. And yeah. and no one will say otherwise. Yeah. And you start, you know, start observing possibilities. Where you were, you had shut your mind's eye to a new way of living or a new way of being. Now you've opened your mind's eye. And when you open your mind's eye, you start seeing possibilities everywhere to, to be the person you want to be. Amazing. Yeah, that's totally true. That's totally true. So I think we can close it there yeah um maybe again just so much unlocked in these last 50 minutes 45 minutes or so so i invite you to really take some of these concepts put them down on a paper whether it's reflecting on the sensations in your body where you are feeling them what is calling to be released from you how you can invite more self-observation, more stillness, more pause. Honestly, I say this so much, just a couple of minutes of stillness or silence first thing in the morning is incredibly powerful. It doesn't need to be complex. It doesn't need to be intense. That is a complete illusion. Do the simplest, but be consistent with it cultivate your self-trust with it see what comes up over time the depths of self-awareness what opens in your mind's eye reflect on your internal beliefs stories needs reflect on this model that suchitra brought to us the scarf model and then finally think about how you move in your moment to moment to moment what qualities are you taking from the past what qualities are you inviting in to your future? And I'm sure so much can shift for you. Absolutely. Very, very well said. Thank you. Beautiful. So this is the Embodied Ayurveda podcast. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the rate your health compass. I'm closing enrollment in two days. Actually, maybe when this comes out, it will be closed to my high-level embodied Ayurveda certification program where I mentor you one-on-one, -on -one, train you also in a group to be and show up as an Ayurvedic health coach yourself, feel the integrations in your body, get deep into these inquiries. We work amongst many disciplines, Ayurveda's at the core, but contemporary models like the ones that Suchitra brought in are seamlessly infused as well because it's so, so important that we feel rich with our, our base and our insight. 
Um, but keep updated and watch the past episodes if you haven't already. I am Niv, this is Suchitra, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank okay. you very much. Bye.